Welcome. This is the Breaking Upward podcast, and I'm Beth Anderson with Anderson Law PC, also known as Beth Anderson Filson. We are your dissolution angels and your crossroads crew. We're here to talk about family law, estate planning, elder law, probate, and all these different areas of law. So we're so lucky that we have a guest today to answer our questions from our last podcast, which we have two questions really that I'm going to present at the start. And those questions are, how do you serve process in a divorce? And also, why would you hire a private investigator? And they really go together because our guest today is Elizabeth Dare. And she is a private investigator and also serves process. So she's highly qualified to um, answer both questions. So a little about both of us. Um, My law firm is Anderson Law PC. We're in Ken Carroll, Littleton, Colorado, and we're also in Evergreen, Colorado. And Elizabeth Dare is with Red Rocks Investigations, and we will soon be sharing an office up in Evergreen, Colorado. I haven't been there yet. What's it look like, Elizabeth? It's great. It's it's really great. It's just a just a very simple room, but um, it's got everything we need to to really work there, and um, has a fantastic deck on the front of it. So this summer is going to be great. Yeah. So we can just end the podcast now because that's really it in a nutshell. <laughs> I am the idea person, and then the private investigator just boots on the ground, gets it done. So I'm like, what about an office in Evergreen? And she's like, okay, done. Yep. I did it. I staked it out. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about um, Red Rocks Investigations. Um, well, I'm based in Golden, Lakewood area, and I've been in business for two and a half years. Um, I do all sorts of investigations. I work with individuals, and I work with attorneys. Um, and really the cases are different every single time. So people call me with all sorts of strange requests and, um, and then I just see how I can help them. That's really what I do is just help people get answers to their questions. Yep. We would want to use you maybe to serve process. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> serving process means, I always say it's like a lasso. If you want to take someone to court, the first time to drag them on in, you have to catch them basically and drag them in and get personal jurisdiction over them um, by doing what we call service of process. So if it's a divorce, you're gonna have a petition to start your case off, a summons that's summoning them into court. And um, in Colorado, you'd have a case information sheet. It's a bundle of paper and you gotta get it served on them. And you can't just hand it to them yourself unless they waive service. You gotta Mm -hmm. do like gone TV, you've been served. Right. How do you do that and how's that work? And tell me a little bit about it. Well, um, it can work a lot of different ways, Um, but you do have to, the element of surprise is always good um, to get people um, when they're not expecting it, maybe when they just get home from work or something like that. But you actually, you have to get them the papers in their hands. So you have to find a way to connect with them. And on rare occasions, you can call people, if they're difficult to find, you can call them and just tell them that you have papers for them and they'll they'll agree to meet with you. But I haven't had many of those like that. Most of the time I'm tracking people down, which is why you can use a private investigator because we're good at locating people. Um, really, you know, it's going to their work. 
um, if you have to or going to. And I always try to go to their house first and reach them. And um, people think maybe they can do it, but you need an adult. It can't be you, a party to the case. And I really like a professional because I get to see what happens when it's not done right. And you want that process server to be able to testify in court. The sheriffs can do it, and they're good in some situations, but sometimes you just don't want a sheriff's car pulling up into the driveway or they maybe don't want to work outside of their regular hours or do things a little more difficult or subtle. So I think the private investigator is a great way to go. Um, I tell my clients get a picture of them, of their car, their license plate maybe, and their schedule. Is there anything else that's helpful to you before you serve process on someone? Well, having just their name and their date of birth really is helpful for me because I have access to databases where I can look up addresses and things like that. So, um, yeah, but also sometimes if you know where they work, if they become difficult to find, that's a helpful tip. Yeah, I try to um, avoid serving someone at work, but sometimes you just don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Now, I get the return of service, and I file it with the court, and that's what someone needs to do in a lawsuit, including a divorce or an allocation of parental responsibilities, which is like a divorce, except um, the parties weren't married, but they might have kids together. So they just do the kid issues. So um, when I do that, I'll get this return of service. And often it just says, knocked on the door, car was parked in the front yard, um, you know, uh, in the road or in the driveway that meets the description. Lights were on, music coming through, cat in the window, ruffle of the curtains, no one answered. And then they'll leave things there Is that something that happens sometimes? It seems to happen with some of the private process servers I've used where um, they just don't come to the door. You know, I've been lucky and I've never had that problem yet. So, I mean, I'm sure I will at some point, but um, pretty much I think I look sort of unassuming and they don't really know who this person is at the door. And so they just answer it. And I'm usually very friendly and very helpful and, you know. I don't say you're served. Okay, you don't have <laughs> no. to do that. You don't have to, to do know. that. You don't have to rub it into them, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, very good. And um, so maybe you have the magic. That maybe use you. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. But you also have to be persistent about it too, because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen on the first time always. So for me, that's more the trick that I've. It's just I just am persistent, and I go back and go back until I get them. Yeah, and sometimes I feel sorry for the process server because it's not super expensive to get it done. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I won't hold you to any pricing, but I've seen anywhere from it used to be twenty five or something for sheriffs. There is more now, Mm -hmm. and I've you know up to maybe a little over a hundred dollars. But for someone making multiple trips, um, you know, sometimes I feel sorry that it's that hard to get that person served. I have a rule of thumb. If someone's serving the other party in a divorce, I just ask them really quickly, do you think that the, if I called them up and said, hey, will you waive service, will you come to my office, would they say yes or no? Or if you ask them to meet you, and I find the party's immediate reaction, their gut reaction, and that's almost always right. That's the best way I found out to figure out what someone's going to do, and you never know. And if their gut is, yeah, they'd probably say yes, they're usually right. And if their gut is, eh, they'll probably give you a hard time, they're usually right. They change their minds sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'll remember that conversation, and they're almost always right the first time. So 
a lot of times someone would say, I don't think he'd do it or she. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you a hard time. And then they'll Mm -hmm. change their mind. Oh, well, I don't really want to get them served. Let's see if they'll meet. And sure enough, they were right the first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's service of process. That's something that a private investigator or process server can do. And have you ever testified in court yet about serving process? I haven't about yeah. that yet. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, maybe because you do such a great job. You haven't I mean, had to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That's know. That's great. So um, now we're going to move into why would you want a private investigator in a divorce? And I think the cliche is I want – there's like – some show cheaters like I want to find out if someone's cheating on me I think that's a cliche and I don't really encourage that in divorce you're already getting a divorce it's a no-fault state so that's really never been a reason but what's that about and is that common that people want is that that's what I think the stereotype is well I think there are a lot of people out there that really do want that um it's not something that I do it takes a lot of surveillance for that and um but there are, I know plenty of investigators that make a living off of doing that. Um, I mean, I have helped them out on some surveillance cases and where we've picked up a guy coming into the airport um, who's here for a weekend fling or whatever. And the wife knows about it. And so she's hired the private investigator to do that. So I think there's a fair amount of that actually yeah mm-hmm. I I guess for me I, I mean I don't judge what other people choose to do and I think once I'm involved they've already made their choice mm-hmm. or they're close to it we can talk about options because sometimes people haven't made their choice and I'm not going to tell someone whether to get a divorce I think that's unethical some lawyers are like yeah, absolutely. I told everyone <laughs> you oh. get away and that's not me yeah um, but there are factors that people consider, so I can't say everyone who calls me as a family law attorney has made up their mind, but usually that's not where I get involved is I'm wondering about this um, having an affair or mm-hmm. something. For me personally, I think if you're worried about it, maybe address the underlying issues. Or my sister's really into this podcast, Esther Perel, and she just talks about different perspectives on why people act out in a variety of ways or explore in their marriages. So I guess I just might think if you can't communicate about stuff, there's a problem. Right. Do you really need to hire someone? But I can't judge what other people's position is, and that's interesting to know that that's a big part of the private investigation world. I think it is, yep. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so more on point to the divorce case, um, something that we talked about was finding assets online. So tell me how a private Mm -hmm. investigator helps with that. Well, we do sort of a comprehensive search in our databases that we have. And, um, oftentimes those databases have assets like houses that they own or, if we find out that they have a pilot's license, then we start looking if there's any planes involved. Um, certainly we can look up cars. Um, in more, I think, in the divorce case, you're looking for big accounts and things like that. And so there is, there are services that I work with. I don't do that work specifically, but um, I work with the services who can actually find bank accounts and can find brokerage accounts. And they can do that either on a statewide search or a national search. And oftentimes they can give you the balances that are in the accounts so you know. Oh, wow. That's Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. That's good to know. 
Mm -hmm. And you do that work? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always very important to me. And some of the forensic searches are very expensive. So it's nice to know you can maybe have something for those of us that aren't exceptionally rich that we can still look into some of those. Yeah, it is kind of a, it is a money making business, that's for sure. So um, the companies are usually pretty expensive to, Uh to do that. But there are some that are a little less expensive. So yeah, that's very important in divorce. And um, sometimes the burden is really that you've got to come in with evidence. So if someone's hiding something and you can't find it, it's always frustrating. But also, I have to advise people, you know what, if you can't find it, you can still go back for five years after the divorce and keep digging after they let their guard down. Hmm. But the judge probably isn't going to award something that you can't find. Mm-hmm. So I haven't had a lot of people take me up on that five-year look back on fraud, but I, it's happened now and then hmm. where someone just didn't disclose a high-value asset. Right. Yeah. Right. They didn't disclose it, or maybe they misled the value of an asset through fraud. And when someone commits fraud and not telling someone what it's worth, because you do fill out a sworn financial statement, so it's pretty obvious what you said it was worth, go back later. Unfortunately, if you can't catch them during the divorce, that can be difficult um, to get. But more often than not, it's just not there. Do you ever see that in your job? Because I have people, oh, there's he's hiding money, or she is, and then maybe they're not. Yeah, I um, had one case like that where the woman, they were getting a divorce, and the woman contacted me, and she's like, I swear he's got an account here, and he's got an account there. And, you know, we did the research, and those accounts just weren't coming up, and she just kept coming back to me like, well, what about here, and what about here? And so it was mm-hmm. kind of like a very wild goose common. chase. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's very common, and... Sometimes you just don't know, and that can be very frustrating. But you do want to try to look and do your best Mm -hmm. and and show you did your due diligence to find out what they have. So I think that's a really important part for um, divorce and even sometimes in probate. Um, Another thing is missing heirs. So that might be, hey, um, we're doing probate. So-and-so passed away, but we can't find this person or that person who's inheriting. So how would you Mm -hmm. help with that? Um, well, those are kind of fun for me because locating people is a lot of what I do. So, um, really again, much of what I do is I start with databases with names that I have, and then I try to connect it to other relatives and then I start tracking them down and calling them and, um, you know, sending letters if we can't find a phone number or, um, it's just really a persistent kind of push to keep like keep tracking down clues and finding the next one so nancy drew yeah it is (laughs) well this is a good time to talk about what was your former career i always my elevator speech about elizabeth is oh she was on air force one so tell me about that Um, I was very lucky when I uh, graduated college that i went to uh, an internship program in washington dc and i got my internship at the Wall Street Journal. And um, for some reason, the Wall Street Journal often sent their interns on these press um, planes with the president, which was also very interesting to me because it was right at the Clinton, Monica Lewinsky time. And I was an intern and I was on (laughs) on this plane. Um, Yeah, so they 
um, oftentimes most of the reporters go on the press plane, but then there's a pool that actually get picked to go on Air Force One. And I happened to get pulled uh, one time and it was, and Clinton did come to the back of the plane and it was, I was just like in shock the whole time, couldn't figure out what was going on. But uh, it was just a great experience. Oh, fantastic. I'm sorry, but I don't think you were lucky to be chosen by the Wall Street Journal. I Mm. think there was probably some skill or uh, something on your I hope so. I did. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty pristine. Yeah. So that I think that makes perfect sense that you bring those skills that you had as a journalist and that you still have into being a private investigator. It's mm-hmm. very similar, getting people to talk, which brings me to something that I've used you for a lot. Probably all of these are most, but um, to talk to witnesses. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a hearing coming up, I might have a private investigator interview all the witnesses. You may not know, but when you're going to court, both parties disclose their witnesses. It's a witness list. It's usually due 63 days before hearing. There may be variations of when it's due. And it includes all the contact information, name, phone number, email address. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't contact the other party through a private investigator, but I can talk to the witnesses. So tell me about that, what you would do. Um, well, actually, it's pretty straightforward. I just give them a call, and I'm very friendly, and I'm, I tell them who I work for because I have to make that clear when I'm talking to somebody from, from any side, really. And then I just start asking them questions about whatever it is that's going to be coming up in the hearing. So you have more information when you go into the hearing, and you'll know possibly what answers are going to come out of people and, and how you can use that information for working in the trial. Yeah, it's tremendously helpful, and I'm always surprised how you get more information than I do. I think they just hear attorney for the opposing party, and they not everyone. Sometimes yeah. I'm shocked what they do tell me, but they shut down a little more, and that's maybe – I come at it with a different angle, too. Yeah, well, actually, in fact, I just called – one of the witnesses for your opposing party. Yeah, um, don't like give yesterday. Any no, 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 no. I won't give any details. I'll just say that this was an example of it. And I was a little, you know, calling someone from the opposing side. You're you're not yeah. sure whether they're gonna talk to you or not. Yeah. And she just opened right up and she just was like happy to talk to me and I was very friendly and wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. 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 That's great. And she even told me to call her back if I had more questions. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be doing that. Okay. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And for me, it's more time and money. I have a lot on my plate owning and running a business and then doing hearings, um, having that contact with my own clients and preparing for my hearings, doing mediation, preparing for that, and working on briefs. Those things are the main things that no one can do but me. Anything I can peel off and bill to um, someone at a maybe a lower rate than what I charge, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to take that off my plate. And I think that's how our firm can accomplish more at a rate that might be more affordable, or at least we're doing a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, and and covering all the bases. So I, I think for me the main thing is, yeah, I want to call everyone myself, but when am I going to get to it? And so to have someone else do it and have this great report has been very helpful to me as an attorney. So, And if someone's doing their own divorce, you may want to just say, 
hey, there's a couple things I don't feel comfortable doing. Maybe a private investigator can help me on a few items. Mm-hmm. And we do, as Elizabeth knows, the unbundled legal services where we just come in and come out for one task or two. And so you could kind of divvy up your divorce that way to save some money. Maybe just say, I'll have the attorney do court things and mediation. I'll have the private investigator help me do my research and put my facts together. And I'll do the rest myself, which you probably could. Um, Unfortunately, law is so expensive and it's a bit rushed. And so people have to kind of make a choice between time and money. And sometimes they just need to delegate only a part and do some of themselves to save money. Yeah, that's probably one of the things I found the most helpful. Um, So finding assets. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go back to finding assets because I never want to publish this Mm -hmm. on my website because I don't want it to be a to-do list because it's a don't-do list. But since it's just for people that are still listening, I'm going to tell you some of the terrible, terrible things that people do to try to hide money in divorce, and they're all fails. Like, they don't usually work. One thing they'll do, and it's men usually, is buy gold coins and silver coins and invest in coins. I'm wondering, is there a book? (laughs) They try to hide things in cryptocurrency, which I'm pretty sure they always lose money on that because it's so erratic and they don't know how to extract it and do the timing. It's, It's like day trading. Like, it's very risky. Um, they overpay their taxes and then they hide the money hmm. so that then they just grab the refund. Hmm. And so they warehouse it in the IRS. <laughs> They'll put cash in a um, safety deposit box. So I literally had a hearing where the judge said, stop the hearing, go look in the safety deposit box. Oh, During man. the hearing, before they have a chance to move stuff out of it. Oh, wow. I'm trying to think of other. Um, and this is, I picked on men, so with the coins. But women, sometimes they'll stockpile, um, like, purses and collectibles. Mm. Um, and, oh, they'll put money in a safety deposit box in someone else's name or just hide cash around the house. Um, what are some other things? Um I don't recommend any of these things. Often they get caught. Or just don't disclose things. That's the number one. Just don't disclose it. Hopefully no one finds out. Um, what you might not know in Colorado is if you don't disclose it, under um, 16.2J of the Colorado Rules of Civil Procedure, there's a sanction that you can't offer any evidence of it. So sometimes um, I just ask for that sanction, and then the other side can get the whole asset, or if it's debt, they can't share it. It's a very punitive sanction, but you're allowed to do it. So all these things are risky mm-hmm. and bad ideas and dishonest if you get caught. But those are, have you seen things like that? Like have you ever caught someone hiding an asset or hiding money? Um, I haven't really. No. Um, not not anything like that, not coins or anything like yeah. that. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it usually seems to fail because they're not – most people are not professional con artists that they're good at cheating and lying and right. hiding things and they just don't do a good job. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if they had done what our clients, what we encourage them to do is just hit your deadlines and be honest and disclose stuff, but be fast, like be on top of the rules and tell your attorney so we can come up with a good argument why something should be fair. 
I, it's more effective than all this trickery. You're wasting time tricking and hiding, and you would have done better being straightforward and following the rules, and you probably would have ended up with more money at the end of the day. So that's what I've learned um, over the years is just hit the deadlines and be fast, be in the driver's seat and turn things over faster than slower mm-hmm. in divorce. So, okay, so yeah, that's, let's see, what else did we talk about? Oh, criminal history of another party or someone else. Tell me about what you do for that. Oh, those are fun too. Um, actually, I, I ha- again have like an access to another database where I can um, look up a person as long as I have their um, name and date of birth, and it'll come up with everything from, you know, speeding tickets to protective orders or, um, you know, criminal mischief or you know anything like that. So anything that has happened, and uh, that's for the state of Colorado that I have that. But I can also do it through other means for other states. So one of the things that I do when, I, when I'm given someone's name is I run them to see if they've lived in previous places as, as well. So not only are we going to check they, they've been here in Colorado for eight years, but they used to live in Arizona. So we're going to look in Arizona too. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that can be very important, not just for the parties. Maybe they had multiple domestic violence or multiple DUI. And then in the divorce, maybe, especially with kids involved, there might be an issue. Is that still a problem for them? Mm-hmm. And having that criminal background can really put some light on it to see if they still have that issue or if they did in the past. Is it recurring? And so um, I find that very helpful. It also is a factor for significant others mm. and family members. So I sometimes my client might have another relationship or roommate, and you want to make sure if there are kids living in that residence that they might not have a criminal history like child abuse or some sort of violent act because the other parent may be looking and using it against them or you may say oh my goodness they're in a relationship with this person and they're on the sex crimes list and Mm -hmm. involve minor children these are things that you want to know right Mm -hmm. so yeah now have you testified in court yet or is that something tell me about that I haven't yet. Yeah. I'm waiting to. Uh-huh. I, um, We're just doing too great of a job. We've I, saddled I, cases. <laughs> we haven't. You're on our list, but we haven't called you yet. I, I know. Um, yeah, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I feel I've had a little bit of training in it and some of the different trainings that I've done. And But I know it's just a matter of um, I'll have to do it to, yeah. to really understand it and, and feel comfortable with it. Yeah, I think what's great about having a private investigator testifying is that they don't have a dog in the fight, they're objective, and they're good at relaying what they know. And they just having a calm demeanor and being approachable and professional about it is so key. I'll never forget when I did a hearing and the private investigator was so shady and just horrible for the other side. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just kind of a joke. And I've really encountered a lot of private investigators who are like that. Yeah, It's hard to find the cream of the crop. I've had some really, really good ones, including yeah. you. And it attracts also people that are not that great. And they're probably the discount ones. And they seem to do more harm than good. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so I think just the credibility, and I, I'll tell a funny story on one of them. He was so bad, and then during the hearing, he was pulling faces like, you know, just making outrageous expressions mm -hmm. about my client's testimony. And the decision maker, the judge said, um, it was a magistrate, but he said, sir, you need to stop making those faces. And the private investigator said, oh, I'm not making faces. That My face just does that. Oh, jeez. And it was so mm -hmm. obviously not true. Right. And then the magistrate said, well, I don't believe you. And stop <laughs> doing that. <laughs> I was just biting my tongue, so I went burst into laughter. Oh. <laughs> and it was so funny. Oh. And I'm like, oh, he already destroyed his credibility. He hasn't even testified yet. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I just kind of have to share that story. So there are some not-so-great ones out there, and then there are some others. Yeah. And I think, you, do you have some sort of licensure or training? What do you have? Um, I am licensed. Um, it's kind of a weird thing is that I had to be licensed to get started. Um, but recently, the state of Colorado has stopped licensing for private investigators. So my license runs through May 31st. Um, and then there isn't any more licensing. But what I'll do is, I think it's important to still be licensed. Um, and so I will actually get licensed in other states, like probably Kansas or Utah or something like that. So I can say that I have, you know, taken steps to be on the up and up and be credible and everything so that's good to know <laughs> and I agree with that it sets you apart and now that I know that I'll watch for that with any private investigator it reminds me a lot where they're going back and forth with fiduciary duties for financial advisors like you can be a certified financial planner and then the government will go back and forth whether they want to hold you to a fiduciary duty but knowing that that's one of the standards, I'm just going to want to work with someone who goes to the higher standard. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's kind of, I see it the same. Or like a paralegal, you don't necessarily have to have any specific training. But I, for me to consider someone a really good paralegal, and the ones we work with, they're either, they have a certificate, they went to a, an accredited school, or they're studying there, mm -hmm. or a lot of experience because... What governments decide to do doesn't really change whether someone's qualified. Mm -hmm. um, it may be whether they're licensed to do it or whether they're allowed to do it, but it doesn't change their qualifications or make them more or less. I'd rather work with the people that have the training mm -hmm. and the certification. So that's, yeah, that's great to know. So I think just kind of what's something, like what's a good story you can tell we never give out details or anything that mm -hmm. our clients would recommend or... Have you had any exciting experiences? Because everyone thinks you're just master of disguise. Mm. My husband thinks you wear Hawaiian shirts. Which like I Magnum don't, and I don't drive a Ferrari or whatever Red Magnum P.I. had. Um, I don't know. I mean, we just get some weird calls, and I probably they're obviously some of them are kind of seedy, so I don't even want to go there. But. Um, but I mean, the whole thing is fun. The whole job is fun because every single thing is different. Every day is different. And, um, you know, I've served papers to somebody like standing there in his underwear in his living room. And um, I've, you know, I've had fun doing surveillance jobs with other like on a team of people. And um, 
following people through the airport and um, following them and then getting on the rental bus and following to the rental car and, you know, making sure that the rest of the team can pick them up as they leave the airport. And so there's just a lot of fun. It's, it's just every day is different and you have to think on your feet all the time. Yeah, because, yeah, it brings excitement to your yeah, day. And yeah, I love problem solving, so that's why I like this career a lot. That's so interesting. I, I always say that's what I like about being a lawyer is to be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And so if um, I'm writing a brief or um, doing a hearing where I think we have really good arguments or figuring out how to do an estate plan to make it work, I'll always say, this is fun to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get so excited, mm-hmm. and and I prefer it to have a puzzle to what I'm doing and have to figure it out. It's right. just, um, so you love your job. It's not so much that one experience stands out, but just you like the whole of it. Yeah. I mean, I really like right now I'm working on an elder abuse case, which is really an important topic to me. And, um, yeah, it's a very complicated, very dysfunctional family involved. And it really is, it's a puzzle for me every day when I wake up and I think, all right, what's the next step in this case? What, yeah. you know, what am I going to do next? How can you get, yeah. how can you get to your results? Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? Do you, um, like want to give out any of your contact information in this podcast? You have sure. a website or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, I have a website, which is redrockspi.com. And, um, and my email is just elizabeth at redrockspi.com. And I'm fine to have people call me, which is 720-625-2423. That's great. And yeah. for me, um, Anderson Law PC, it's E, in A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N-E for excellent, I'll say sometimes. And it's um, Beth at AndersonLawPC.com. My cell phone is 303-808-4794. I do give it out for calling and texting. And our office line is... 720-922-3880. We're in King Carroll and, and up in Evergreen. I'm so excited to be back there having lived there over 20 years. It's just such a wonderful community. And King Carroll is too. I just love our clients there. There's just wonderful people that live in both mm-hmm. communities. We're focusing on those communities because I found out people don't want to drive to Denver or even Boulder or Cherry Creek to meet with a lawyer. They just want a lawyer down the street with a parking lot and a simple mm-hmm. office who can talk to them like a regular person. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to bother with all these other communities full of lawyers. I'm going to focus on mm-hmm. these neighborhoods full of great people. So, And it sounds like we kind of share that. Yeah, we cool. do. Definitely. I'm, I'm excited to expand into Evergreen, too. So I always do a law joke of the day, <laughs> which... Um, I had one chosen for today, but then I thought of another one. It's kind of a modification of another joke. So, and then of course we have horrible reputations as lawyers, but um, <laughs> I just think they're funny to kind of break it up. So, this is a story. I'm going to base it in Evergreen that there were. It's not in Evergreen, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. here's how the joke goes. Um, there's three ladies getting their nails done and mani pedis. Mm-hmm in Evergreen, and they're kind of in a bragging war, which mm-hmm. sometimes I say the Real Housewives mm-hmm. of Evergreen, they can get that way. Mm-hmm. And so um, one is like, oh, my husband, his medical business is going so well, and he's always driving around in his Porsche. He just got this brand new Porsche. And then 
the other one said, oh, my husband, his um, engineering job is going really great, and he's always flying around in his Learjet. And then the other one said, well, my husband just sold his company, and so he's always off at his villa in Italy. And they're all just kind of um, one-upping each other. Well, this woman comes in. Her hair is disheveled. She's wearing a suit. She's rushing. And she goes, just give me a buff. I'm in a real hurry. I, I'm an attorney. And they go, oh, honey, I'm so sorry you have to work. That sounds really bad. <laughs> and she says, well, yeah, I'm a divorce attorney. And they go, oh, you poor thing. We're off to the country club, and you have to work. She said, well, you know, it has its upside, I just landed three new divorce clients, and I collected their retainers, and one gave me a Porsche, one gave me a Learjet, and the other one gave me his villa in Italy. <laughs> so I hope I didn't blow that one too no. much. But <laughs> it's so bad, but I thought it was kind of funny. So uh. that's our joke of the day. And then we have our question for next time. Top tips for buying and selling mountain and vacation properties in probate and divorce, is it okay oh. if I talk about that? Um, do you know anything about mountain properties? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and I'm thinking I might even know who your next guest it, is, who um, would be Tom Kozlowski. And um, he just helped me buy, uh, my family actually buy a property up in the mountains, um, up by Como and Fairplay. So it's great. It's a fantastic place to be so yeah. yeah I was lucky that you let me go visit you there yeah and it was mm. so relaxing and that is very common in probate and divorce is to have those second properties mm. and how to market and take care of them properly because when it comes to your residence I think um people kind of know a lot about it mm -hmm. and um but when it comes to these properties one of the things I found that's really big is they may want to hold on to it for the heirs down the line. A lot of times, this is something where they want to keep it what they call in the family, and they that may mean the children, the descendants, mm. or we'll call it issue mm -hmm. in probate. So you've got that factor, and then maybe people don't know a lot about it, if it's valuable, and how to get top dollar if they do decide to sell it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I'm kind of looking forward for that. So and that'll be great. Yeah, <clears throat> so I think that's it for us. Do you have anything right? else you want to add? No, thanks. It was really fun. Oh, see, it wasn't so bad. Uh, I know. <laughs> I just know, and it was funny. I told Elizabeth... Um, I don't like the sound of my voice. It sounds like I do because I talk so much, but I really don't. And so it's so pleasant to have a guest mm -hmm. to talk and get more information out for the people that we represent because I don't have time to go into this level of detail, but they can listen to a podcast. If they work with us, they're going to get the information about you. And if they're doing it themselves or with another attorney, it's still going to be helpful. So yeah, great. Thanks for being one of my guests. Oh, and you're welcome. Thanks yeah, for having me. That's um, breaking upward. And that's just important to me because families are always families. They take different forms and they change. But whether it's a divorce or a death, um, you know, just any kind of breakup, um, I just like the idea that you're not just breaking up, but you're breaking upward to something that may be even better. Oh, that's a great message. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining me. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.